you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Brought to you by Mind Architecture. Building worlds for your mind. Oh, it's Invisible Alan today. Silent Alan. Okay, big flash of red. There, there you are, I am. Got to get the elf sweater going. There we go. <laughs> All right. So yeah, it, sorry. Just what? Usually we start off by geeking it up. I have a USB like multi-port box that has run perfectly with all of my printer, my drives, my little camera and so forth attached. And suddenly it has stopped working correctly. And though I have rebooted the computer, there's no really way to reboot this little box. And so now, because I really can't wait to print like I want to and digitize, I have a super drive with a big DVD, CD, et cetera, player. And that's, I just got some new, uh, let's see, do I have my Christmas music I can show off? Doesn't matter. I got, where did I put them? We're showing because, you know. You're having a Monday shopping. on Tuesday. Shopping is always, you know, reason to go celebration in House Baltus. Here they are. So I got uh, the Prog Rock Christmas. Oh, nice. And oh, the December People, which is a, an older one from 2010 or something like that. But some of Billy Sherwood's first efforts, he's one of those guys that really seems to have the ability to just go to anybody in the rock world and say, hey, want to play on this album? Want to take this vocal, this guitar, whatever else it might be? So I, uh, and also I, here, as long as I'm here, I think I might have mentioned, I went to Pigeons Playing Ping Pong on yes. Thursday and they're a really good jam band, recommended by my friend Robert, who has been on the jam cruise and knows all kinds of stuff. And I know I like Fish, I like Mo, I like Humphreys McGee, but there's enough of them that they can put together a whole cruise with 30 bands and stuff. And Pigeons Playing Ping Pong, which does psychedelic funk, was one of the ones that he thought was one of the highlights of the cruise. So I went to see it. And it was at the Agora, which is a, it's really, it's a kind of revived club here in Cleveland. It really yeah. got kind of dank and is the floor going to fall apart and stuff like that and they've fixed it up probably during covid they're one of the places that said much like the kent stage let's not just kind of continue our descent the fact that we're having to cancel shows and stuff we have time to put in new seats we have time to put in a whole new sound system so having said that i went and saw broccoli samurai was the opener and much enjoyed them and then was enjoying pigeons playing ping pong except Despite there being a smoking ban throughout Ohio, though there was no place to sit. It was a big mosh pit on the main floor, and the only places to sit were like stools at the top of each of the tiers as they go up, and they were considered premium boxes, and I had bought a general admission ticket. They have seating upstairs in this place, but that was closed off because the show didn't sell that well. The Balto feet, I don't, I couldn't go for walking for hours, but standing in place or just swaying back and forth, it wears on me nowadays. Yeah. And so that was already a factor. And I was like, well, how long am I going to hold out? And then because it was a mosh pit and packed with people, everybody vaping and smoking and the mix of the miasma of marijuana and cigarette right. and whatever else it might be. And because it's so crowded, there are no security people going in and saying, hey, you 500 people put that out. 
And honestly, I'm just getting to the point that I really can't stand it. I can't be in the right. middle of that anymore. I used to be able to tune it out at the House of Blues and various places that were very smoky venues. And, and so I made it 45 minutes into pigeons playing ping pong and was enjoying them and yet couldn't anymore. Yeah. But what I did come away with, I went to the merch stand. I don't mean to cut you off. I just you know, here's a, I got a whole bunch of their CDs, every one of which starts with P. So it's like pleasure and psychology and et cetera. And what was funny is when I bought them, the merch maiden said, wow, they have all kinds of, they have rugs and t-shirts and cozies and that kind of stuff. He goes, oh, they like, the band really likes it when some people buy their music. And so, so nobody else does? Apparently not. No. It's all live performance nowadays. It's all Spotify and Apple music and everything is digitized. And yet I kind of like having, you know, I can read the lighter notes and see who played what. And I, I just, that's an experience that I still enjoy. And then I come home and I digitize it. But in every way, it just was like, okay, there's a new generation and they really, it's kind of funny. People were dressed up. It really is a psychedelic hippie type thing. And so there were people in Dr. Seuss hats and electric boots. Yeah, uh, I and, saw that. And, you remember that? And I, it's kind of funny. By reading my Facebook post, I know I'm recounting that, but this is for the podcast listeners. I just, I know that I'm like a generation out of touch now. You know, it's no longer everybody in jeans and t-shirts. It's no longer everybody like kind of sits down and enjoys the show. There's continual movement back and forth to the bars and to, I love the fact that everybody's like hugging each other because there's probably a lot of Molly, a whole bunch of uh, MDMA in the crowd and MDMA. And I just, you know, I was like standing to the side, enjoying the show, but everybody in the place must've been going, is this guy a narc? Is this guy like the old guy that's going to bust us? He seems to be enjoying the show, but and I actually am like moving in time with the music. So I wasn't so totally herky jerky. Like he doesn't belong here at all. Oh, I just, I'm getting to that place now where the experience of going to a concert, it isn't what it once was. I used to stand outside to buy tickets for hours in the cold uphill both ways now you don't have to do that anymore and i just i don't have the tolerance for this is kind of funny hardly anybody was holding their phones up and recording the entire show which happens at so many shows nowadays yeah. you and i have talked about that everybody really seemed to be in the music in the moment of it and kind of just loving it so i really like that aspect but boy such a chimney man i just can't stand the smoke anymore yeah and my time for live music is kind of coming to a close unless i go to blossom where it's all open air yeah and, and smoking's been a band for a long time but now and i know people especially rock concerts and the old hippie concerts and stuff they just feel oh the lights are down the middle i'll toke it up Absolutely. but and now it's legal so it's legal to do it but folks I don't smoke. I have COPD or I have asthma or whatever. And you're taking away my rights to enjoy the show for you to stand there smoking. I hate the argument when people say it's my right to smoke wherever I want. Well, but it doesn't work that way. And it's different when you're drinking because when you drink, unless you throw up on my shoes, you're not affecting me that much. That's right. And that isn't that the argument from time immemorial. you Everybody that smokes thinks that it doesn't affect anybody else. They insist that it doesn't. Or and they just don't care. Studies that show, no, secondhand smoke is killing your children, parent smokers. It's killing your friends. I don't know. What, what do I always hear? Like, hey, you, uh, they try banning too many calorie drinks because it makes people fat. It's the nanny state. And it's like, so 
at least that, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one that's being affected suffering because I carry extra weight. I don't think I'm splashing my bulk on you. It might be that I, like, if I'm too big and I have to buy an extra seat, I guess that's the world's revenge. I never had to do that. I'm not that big, but it's, uh, but there's such a weird disconnect about there's no logical thinking going on there. They want to smoke because they're hideous addicts and can't stop themselves. And they'll just grasp onto anything that will justify that act. So it's really weird. Uh, I uh, Seeing addiction in all these different kinds of ways and what it drives people to do, whether it's addiction to smoking, addiction to gambling, addiction to alcohol, and the, the way that they will, in other parts of their life, kind of be an upstanding citizen. And in this way, they're a liar and a weasel and a yeah. hypocrite. And it makes me... So if that isn't the reason to stop doing something that has you so addicted that you will betray yourself, you will betray the values that you otherwise uphold as a human being. Isn't that enough reason to say the people that say that stuff, they but, don't have your best interests at heart. They are happy to have you. Well, I don't know if you've seen the RJ Thomas or whatever the big tobacco company is. They lost some lawsuit in the AG now. There's signs. Go look at Giant Eagle or Acme or Meyer, wherever they sell the okay. cigarettes. There's big signs now they had to put up legally that say, hey, by the way, we know smoke kills you. And we put stuff in it that makes it addictive, just to let you know. I mean. <laughs> I hadn't seen those yet yeah. for a long time. They've had that little thing on the side of the package that says smoking leads to lung cancer and death and low birth weight. And like all the various different things to which it is absolutely statistically causally correlationally linked and i guess now they and so and, and this really is something that there's never a time that i can't like i guess i'm addicted to this i have to go on the rant of back when you were like in the 40s 50s 60s and they really hadn't established it yet they used to have doctor advertisements that said five out of seven doctors smoke kents and and it really wasn't so proven that this is death this is really bad stuff and yet now there's one and maybe even two generations that know all that since the 60s. We're 60 years, two times 30, two generations, and there's still some weird cool factor to it. There's some weird thing. If you just try it, you can't try it just once because the first time is almost always you'll hack your lungs out. Oh my God, what is this about? But if you push through and become a smoker, there's no way to get out of it. It is so addictive. And, and yet for all of the how much money am I spending? How many of my friends am I alienating? I can see that I have, I can't go up a flight of stairs without gasping. It really is affecting me. And yet, but this is just too cool. But I'm even then, I, this is what oh. bothers me. You mentioned about overweight and buying an extra seat. Um, there are people now that are suing movie theaters and airplanes because I'm too big to fit in one seat. So you should give me a second seat for free. And, and so I haven't read that. I, I, I know that people are, I haven't read that they're actually suing the body positivity has extended to, well, that's just silly. And, and the thing that <laughs> bothers I mean? me though, like with the smokers, I can't get up. Well, you shouldn't expect me to come and help you because I smoke and I can't go up the steps, but you should come and help me still. Or it's that I'm, I know that my smoking or my overeating damages my body and makes me unhealthy and I can't do all that stuff. So you should change your life to accommodate me. And I have a problem with that. On the flip side, I've had people say, your father had open heart surgery and had to, yeah, but he's fairly healthy. And that was more genetic. That, but okay, you go round and around. <laughs> there's a, a famous quote. I can't name the author of it, though I should be able to, that says, you know, any conclusion that you've come to without facts, you're not going to stop that person from be believing that with facts. So 
It's about addictions, about religion, about politics. It's about so many things that just long ago, we used to have our salon called Penny University that we had once a month for five years, I think, here in, in Cleveland area, Mensa. And the what I always tried to push for was not just what do you know, but how do you know it? And there are so many things that when people think about what's the provenance of like, did you read that in a book, in a magazine? Did you hear that from a relatively reputable friend? Or did you just get it from TV, get it from your parents and find out that maybe your parents didn't know everything, get it from, there's so many ways of, like you can't treat everything you hear as fact. You can't treat the first thing that you hear as what's truth. And if you don't kind of commit yourself to that lifelong thing of keep getting new information and when new information yields a different result, change your mind. And it was, it became odd because there really were some people that when you questioned, how did you learn that? It wasn't only they had to think back. It was that they were embarrassed about being questioned. And everybody here has to do it. This isn't about trying to catch you out, trying to embarrass you, but it is that the training of a salon like this is not only have an idea, defend your idea, explain your idea. And some people, there really was ego involved. They couldn't do it easily. And, and it's kind of funny. There are so many things nowadays that people pick up and transfer to another medium that don't apply, but they've got a new tool in their thing. So I was once told that, um, I was bothering their boundaries. They put up boundaries against being like confronted like that, quizzed like that. And so, you mean asking a question breaks your boundaries? Maybe that should, that's not what this is about. Boundaries are where, from what I understand, like you had a traumatic experience and you don't want to get reminded of that, triggered about that. And so and, and other people are having bad behavior that can affect you. And you're willing to say, I will not participate in that, that, that kind of thing. But you don't get to use that as the trump card to end an argument. You don't get to use that. Right. Just be, I'm right I, in everything I think and say. Because, <laughs> and what's weird once in a while is I wouldn't be the only one asking this. Some other people in the group that were more blunt than I would kind of say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, that sounds like it's full of shit. And every once in a while, that's the confrontation that you need is the emperor has no clothes. You really need to be once in a while told that can't be right. It's not right. And in fact, you're repeating it. You're kind of participating in the mistake. You're participating in the sin of it. Yeah. I, I, I will say for every generation has good and bad and previous generations look differently at the newer generations. And I've, I've got some of this current generation of kids and I've known many, and I will say they've got a lot of good points. They don't want to take bullshit from politicians. They're smoking less than our generations did. They know that, but they also feel, well, I can declare anything hurts my feelings and you should just be quiet about it. But I will also give you how I think I'm completely right and you're wrong. And that's just the end of it. And you got this. Yeah. That's the balance. <laughs> that, yeah, that's an interesting segue, if you will, that how I was talking about it. I really it's kind of funny. I don't think I talk about anything in a generational way. I make fun of, I'm going to go back to school and sit there as the Commodore. Back in my day, we did it this way. And right. That's so bloated with stuck in your ways and that you really think you know everything. And I really, I don't, I don't think I know everything. And, but I think that there's ways to get incrementally better all the time. And when people, it isn't a matter of the reason that they do it might've changed by the generation, but there's still a reason to have rigor. There's a reason to not have the knee jerk response that instead to have the thoughtful response. Right. We just went to a celebration of life for a good friend, Tom Harmon. 
um, a, a longtime Cleveland Area Mensa member. And one of the people, a lot of people got up and shared experiences. And one of the people said he was a great listener. And that's an incredible compliment. You know what I mean? There are so many people that while they're listening to you, what they're really doing is prepping their retort, right. prepping what they're next going to say. <laughs> and that so much is not listening and adding and discussing, but that it's argumentation. And I really hope that I'm more like that. I aspire to that. I really try to not share things so bluntly that I've lost their ongoing communication. You know what I mean? But having said that, they're really, every time that I see identity politics enter into something now, which is a new thought, it used to be just called bigotry, no matter what direction it was. It wasn't that if I'm in, you name the generation, I'm therefore right. Well, that makes no sense, especially with as arbitrary as the generational boundaries are. It's the kind of person that you are. Are you a practicing thinker? Are you a listener? Are you trying to like Covey has a great quote about seek first to understand and then to be understood. And I see people use the word trigger. So I will. There's all kinds of people that have always been triggered by you say this and they can't help but respond with that. It's stimulus. It's knee jerk response. And yet there's there so many of those automatic responses are flimsy they're nothing they're, they don't withstand one more question they don't withstand one more bit of discussion you, sh you shouldn't so readily embrace i don't have to think about it i got an automatic response you know like you see it online all the time you see it in conversation all the time i i don't think i do things to mock or to try to be right i think i'm always about let's talk this through let's think this through and having said that, you know, after you do that for five, 10 minutes, days, weeks, it is okay to just say unreachable. All of what I talked about, about how this could be a worthwhile discussion is that we're going to regard facts as facts, not opinions as facts, not um, that there's, that you're going to shed disinformation that you can't prove. Give right. me the link and I'll go take a look. So all of those kinds of things I have, it's, it's unfortunate, not because I do this so often, but because there's so many times it has had to be done that I just kind of say, I'm pretty much done here. You know what I mean? I'm. We're not making any progress. You're already repeating yourself. I don't think that you and I are ever going to come to an agreement, a rapprochement. So much of what I've been doing is not trying to convince you, actually. It's to let everybody else that's reading all these things kind of know that silence is consent. You said something ridiculous. I responded <laughs> saying, well, that's not true. That's not, doesn't follow logically, whatever the yes. thing might be. And when people dig their heels in, when people get all threatening or bully-y or whatever else it might be, I'm one of those guys that just, I hate that. I kind of can't help but respond to the bully. Where were you when I was going through my divorce? <laughs> so, and, and now if you're looking for, we've been watching The Rookie, you know, we make all these wonderful segues. And one of the things that shows such stark, interesting contrast is the police are out there having to make life or death decisions pretty often, but they also have to always be thinking about what's going to go in court. And they have very yeah. good characters that are the sleazy lawyers or the clever lawyers or the whatever else it might be. And that you find out how much justice is for sale or how much justice is not going to happen because there's a bigger fish to catch. And so we're going to let you off as long as you inform or, you know, what I mean, all the ways in which it isn't about finding the truth. It's about the whole system and how it has all these features yeah. that make it that if you learn to play the system, you really got one character, Oscar, that is just the biggest sleazebag in the world, but he's learned to be the guy that just has the right information that he can get a nicer cell in prison yeah. <laughs> because he's learned how to inform without getting killed for it. He's, oh, so 
that has a lot of unfortunate similarity to the world. I know so many people now that they're not trying to be right. They're trying to win. Their argument, their discussion is a bludgeon. It's a blunt fucking tool. And yet. Or it's just loud. It's just the louder than more people will listen. And that's the problem. People, you put something up and you can try this. You can put a Facebook post up and be like the most God awful saying in the text, but you pull this cool headline, you'll get people giving you thumbs up because they see nothing but the headline. And that's what shouting loud does. It's in-person headlines and people were like, oh yeah, okay. And keep moving without even, you know, and it's also the, well, if 5,000 Facebook people agree with me, that must mean it's true and right. And that people like me and fire effect. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, uh, how many times have I had to just, the first thing I have to say is, so did you read the article <laughs> to which you supplied the link? Because it doesn't say anything of what you said in your commentary. It actually kind of contradicts you right. and you just you want the inflammatory headline to be, that isn't, that's as deep, as shallow as most people go. And that's what you're going to run with. But the life isn't only slogans and shouting louder. It really is. Well, what do the numbers really say? I've talked about this. In fact, here, a quick segue into um, Christmas books. Folks, if you have never read Freakonomics or any of the Freakonomics series, they're fantastic. There are two economists, like from the University of Chicago, that have looked at the world, especially um, some social ills, but some just situations, and said, let's not go with what, quotes, everybody knows that. What's What's the common sense, the popular opinion version of this? They actually devise experiments that will collect data that show you how this really works and i don't know being a drug dealer is not only you're evil and trying to destroy society it's that you're in this situation of where you have no better prospects than trying to sell drugs because it's a way out of that bad system not at all condoning drugs folks for the people that are tuning in for only part of the podcast but they really look at when even when you do that what's that most similar to it's similar to a pyramid scheme that the people that are at the top of that are the ones making all the money and they've got all their on the street sellers and their mules and breaking bad people that are making stuff. They're all getting a tiny fraction usually of what's going on. And that the only way to get ahead is to become that guy at the top of the pyramid, to become the person that brings everybody in the way. How, you know, so that's like a sad analogy that honestly, me and Casey joke about this with the soap stuff. We're like, if we want to be a successful business, we have to, do successful business things. We have to follow what other successful businesses do. And so we said, let's go watch Breaking Bad because drug people know how to run a business. Porn people know how to run a business. They provide what people want. They give it to them how they want it. And they make tons of money. Drug people, he says it all the time. If this was drugs, we'd do this because that makes the money. It's that makes sense. And it sounds stupid, but if they weren't successful in making tons of money and knowing what their product is, who buys it, and how to sell it, it wouldn't be a successful business. It's kind of funny. I didn't mean you're exactly right. And in fact, that's one of the things that Freakonomics does is it creates very uncomfortable parallels with like how things are really working and that we want to think that the world is hey it's capitalism capitalism works because there's supply and demand and they meet that place in the curve that there's a utility curve and stuff like that on paper all the ways in which 
people have decided, well, let's call it capitalism while we do everything to not be capitalist. We're going to corner the market. We're going to have both from the supply and the demand side, do everything we can to restrict information, restrict trade, to create tying agreements. All the things that way back at the turn of the 20th century, they had big court cases to make sure that companies weren't owning towns, owning people because of how powerful they had become. And every time that we see a merger happen nowadays and our Supreme Court and Congress and whoever else can either enforce or pass those laws, they've been rolling over for a century in terms of there really are losses, unbenefits to society of letting people have no competition, be able to set prices however they want, be able to, to screw people because they can do whatever they want. Warren Buffett says it very nicely that the way you know a company is a good one to invest in is if they have pricing power, that they can adjust the price without really, you know, it's usually if you raise the price, you lose a certain number of customers. And if you lower it, you gain a certain number. And that's the curve. When you see that goes um, not linear, but geometric, that people have learned how to manipulate that. And, and so to talk today directly to, we've had inflation really bad for the last couple of years. Inflation is usually where <laughs> there are, the best way to put this is it hasn't been inflation. It hasn't been where the supply of money has become such that all the goods go up because there's less money to be spent. We are loaded with cash if we want to be. It's more been that every company, virtually everyone has said, we'll call it inflation, but all we're doing is price gouging. We're raising our prices to make more money. And because it's, to, it's kind of funny, our arguments, our, I'm sorry, our discussions are so often circular. Everybody's addicted to everything. If you've got a favorite <laughs> brand of toothpaste, you can raise that by 30% more and you're still not going to switch from Colgate to Crest or vice versa. You just have this thing in you that you have a habit, habituation right. that says, I'm going to go to this place in the store. And whether it's Coke or Pepsi, whether it's what gas station you like to go to, all those things the world of advertising is based on not having you be economically sound, not having you buy the right thing for the right price, but instead to have, well, of course, I'm not going to wear anything but Van Hughes and shirts because then I'm a man, then I'm a successful man that's going to get the babe. And the first time that they did that tie, that it's not about buying a car, but that you're going to get sex, you're going to get power and, and prestige and that whole social climbing thing. I can think of very few products that don't have an element of that. Yeah. And so, so much of what we've been seeing for the last couple of years has not been, oh, inflation, the Fed will fight it. Don't worry. We're going to come to a, it really has, should have been, hey, we can prove price gouging. We can prove that corporate profits are at record heights, but it's cost them no more to produce the product. All they've done is as if we're at war because we're in a war on COVID or the war on drugs or the war, now it's the war on inflation, but who's making, not the people are not getting bettered by sacrificing themselves in this war. And so hope this doesn't come across ranty and conspiracy-ish, but Freakonomics is one of those places that they will say, there is no better explanation for what's happened in the last two years than price gouging. It isn't that the cost of gasoline has gone up or sugar has gone up or all the things that people point to for why the price at the pump is higher. It's not that it's not President Biden's fault. It's not former President Trump's fault. It's that they could see how far they could push it without getting the governmental overseers to say, hey, now that's too much. Because right. a certain amount of taking advantage of your position is just built into America. There's a certain amount of, we want you to be successful, but not so successful that everybody hates you. And they're just experimenting with how much can they raise the loaf of a price of bread? Like when you look at the consumer basket of all the various different things, 
Is there anything that really follows? Hey, if I wanted to enter the market and sell a lot of peanut butter, funny, I could um, price it under the leading brands and then I should get a certain amount of market share. The more that people try those things and Consumer Reports is really good on reporting about this, price is not really directly related to quality for so many things oh, whether it's a washing machine or a lawnmower there's, there's or a how many shampoo. companies and products are overpriced because it makes them seem elite and you get a certain percentage of people i buy that because it's better i worked right. for a box company and we made boxes it was for the salt that went into aquariums and we made, we ran this box and it was a nice box. It was okay. And it was for the salt that went into the aquariums and it was shipped off to, I think the company, cause they put it and sold it at Walmart. And these were the shipping boxes. Actually the boxes you bought at the store, there were like eight of them in this box. We made in the box. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it was just the box for the shipping to the store and it was to Walmart and whatever. And then the next order came through and I'm looking at going, that looks like the exact same thing, but like it's a better design, better colors and stuff. And they said, yeah, it's the same company. I'm like, why is the same company have a different box? They said, oh, this one goes to the high-end stores, the pet stores that the rich people go to. They sell the same product, two different stores, two different prices. They make it look better. And it's the exact same thing. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, if, and to just another, here, Christmas idea. Folks, you could do nothing better than to give everybody in your family and friends a subscription to Consumer Reports because it isn't about are you buying a lawnmower soon or any product. It's the way that they approach, how they judge those things, right. quality. And they show and again and again that the most expensive beer is not the best beer and the most expensive shampoo and the most expensive toilet paper and all those things that they're all those advertising the market dynamics that say, we're going to upscale this and we're going to sell it at a higher price. Though it's, it comes out of exactly the same spigot back right. at the central factory, well, it, but they've got a new name for it. And also it's not only a matter of the rich people, they have a hundred examples of the woman's version of anything is 30% more expensive than the guys, whether it's a razor or shampoo, because it's got to be healthier for you, better for you, make you beautiful, make you prettier and get a better husband and whatever else it might be. And I wish that worked on, guys but there's only certain examples for instance like diet coke doesn't sell as well as coke zero because guys think it's i'm not a homo i'm not going to drink a diet soda and sorry i hope you understand i'm trying to be the jerk that would say right, something. Right. It's just the weirdest thing when i read how statistically that's just so true that some things get branded by ignorance that it's not whether you buy it but you'll never buy it and then once in a while when you see that applied to was it light beer or Bud Light, whichever yes. one just went through the controversy. And like, you've got to be kidding me. You think that beer is a matter of your sexuality, that it's going to affect your sexuality, that you declare in the bar, hey, baby, I'm a lion instead of a wombat because I drink this beer. Well, Every time that works, it's just, oh, people and are on, so stupid. On the flip side, <laughs> and Consumer Reports helps with this too, just because a product is the cheapest doesn't mean you're getting the best deal. In the long run, it can come out to be more. I found that at Dollar General, a mile away from my house, I go and I go to buy something. I'm like, wait a second, the price is cheaper, but I'm looking at going, if I go to Giant Eagle, I can get a bigger jar that just costs 50 cents more than this. And, and this actually, actually costs me more. 
Yeah, consumer protection laws for a long time have said you have to list the price per ounce, the price per right. sheet of toilet paper, whatever else it might be. And that's you'll find that out. That And it's not only a matter of volume, it's also a matter of quality. If I buy, I don't know, um, a, a blender at some place that it's the low-priced blender, but it breaks in a year, I, I don't want to buy two blenders and then get back to the price I should have spent in the first place for something that would have lasted. So... Consumer Reports has not only the qualities of it and the price of it, but they have statistics over the course of time about what lasts. So, and this is, of course, the most galling thing is you can spend a lot of time researching every bit of shampoo and detergent and everything else and save a dollar in every one of those places. But you know what? If you buy an idiot car, you've just blown $20,000. You can never catch up to making a bad, big decision. So that's one of the best things they do is say, and cars are one of the places that's rife with the brand imaging and the, is it an import? Is it when they change cars and say, well, that's a more aggressive front bumper. So that's what the macho men are going to want. And they have proven so many times that it isn't worth buying the most expensive, the luxury brand, unless you want to declare to the world, I'm the guy that owns the Ferrari. I am that guy. But you can get a car that performs exactly, that gets you from A to B with exactly the same level of comfort and gas miles and whatever else it might be for half the price, a third of the price, if you're willing to drive the Volvo or something like that, and maybe even safer. So I we've been very lucky in terms of, I have used that to buy every car in my life where I really looked at what's what am I getting for my money? And if you don't make a big mistake on a house or a car, or a wedding ring or whatever else it might be, that makes up for all kinds of other not caring sins. You don't have to be about this in everything, but that's exactly where they've tried to do the most advertising. Mm-hmm. That we, you know, we're watching Hulu to watch The Rookie, and we, so we've had to watch ads. It used to be only got ads injected into our lives when we were watching network TV for the Olympics. Otherwise, we just don't watch network TV. So besides all the drug ads, which are ever-present, Every other product really seems to be, hey, give your somebody a car for Christmas. And Saturday Night Live actually did an incredibly funny skit about, you maniac? You bought a car without checking with me? Hey. All right, what? et cetera, et cetera. But just that, how did you make it that a big bow on your car means that you can just take casually, randomly, why not decision out of a $35,000 thing instead of a $3 thing? But they do that all the time with jewelry. It's about how much love. It's about right. the... I just, I must be inoculated somehow because maybe Mad Magazine taught me how many of those ads were just pure BS and that you don't need to buy into that, but you can see it working on, that they're trying to work it on you. And then you can see all kinds of people that they really did just go and what, what car did you want? I wanted a blue one. Oh, uh, please tell me that's not really how you made your decision. Right. Didn't you care about the safety of your car, about the gas mileage so that it so, so you mentioned the so car. One of my reports is great. Freakonomics is great. Freakonomics. Hey, everybody listening, please become a, not only a wiser consumer of things, a wiser consumer of information. Because understand it exactly. They teach you how to do it. I so, what one of my favorite holiday movies is Deck the Halls with Ferris Bueller and Danny DeVito. What whatever Ferris, I forget Ferris. Sorry, um, okay. Matthew Broderick. Matthew right? Broderick. Thank right. you, okay. thank you. But in one scene, uh, to make up for some stuff, Danny DeVito gets a car for Matthew Broderick's character. Oh my gosh! Well, then later somebody comes to tow it, and they're like, "Why are you towing this?" They're like, "He got it for me." He's like, "You still have to make the down payment, and the monthly payments are this much." He's like, "I thought you got this for me." He's like, I cut my commission in half. That should be a gift to anybody. Oh man, good we, movie. We just- 
yeah, it's kind of funny. You can't help but watch a couple of Christmas movies because they're all over the place. We, without going into a rant, my Roku box isn't working as it should. So we actually reverted to Google TV on our new Hisense TV and it works better. So now I got to investigate the Roku box. Or I'm uh, just going to go and. Yeah, because they're getting rid of the Google TV stuff, I believe. It's, it's the weirdest thing. It has worked so well for so long that it's starting to have delays and have artifacting on the screen and stuff like, I don't think I missed. It automatically updates what's going on that this is not cooperating as well. Having said that, when you just kind of browse anything nowadays, there's so many Christmas movies. We just watched Spirited, which is Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. Yes. It's a take on the Christmas Carol, of course, but very aware of. Everyone knows the story of the Christmas Carol. So there's actually a secret non-governmental organization that's running things behind to try to, they're in the irredeemables. Maybe we can get them to see the spirit of Christmas. And it was much better than we expected. Whittier and just better in so many ways. That was fun. It just, it was, um, I'm happy once in a while when all these things, you know, I did a whole presentation on, hey, you really should decide what the best of the best is and watch that because there's only so many hours in the day and years in your life and yet once in a while it's there's such a nice thing of we're just kind of browsing around and saying oh i like will ferrell and ryan reynolds let's see what they got into so you kind of use that still i'm looking for quality they wouldn't be associated with a crappy movie and that's not true because i've seen so many summer project movies that were but having said that it's a delight when you're like i know nothing about this but i'm going in and then it proves to be better yeah. instead of using all the critics lists and all the top tens and stuff that you just give it a wing and it turns out nice. I like and that. I must say Colin <laughs> and I got Apple plus to watch. I got it. He just uses it. I should say because we wanted to watch. There was some series a while back that he wanted to watch. And I'm like, they have foundation from Asimov and they did silo, which was an independent author, Hugh Howie. He was one of the first big indie authors. Okay, so I can watch those series. He watched it. And then they had the Michael J. Fox special on there uh, with Parkinson's. Ted Lasso. That was what lured us to Apple TV was Ted Lasso. Well, was yeah, I've heard a lot about it. Haven't watched it. Now they got Monarch from Godzilla, which I love. Is, I still haven't yeah. watched it. I'm sorry. Even in, oh, this week has been tough because my mom. But anyway. Okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, and so the Spirited was on there. And I'm like, man, I must say. Apple TV's got some quality stuff. I'm like, I wonder if I should put something else on hold and keep the Apple for a while rather than, but they don't have as much. They really go for that quality instead of let's shove as much stuff out as we can. That's my new habit that I'm developing is to not just get everything and then have it forever, but to say, I'm going to go on Apple. I'm going to go on Paramount. I'm going to go on whichever, you know, maybe Max. And uh, some things I get for free because I get it through being an AT&T and a Verizon member slash user. Um, other things, it's like, well, I'm going to go on there and watch the hell out of everything I can, but then maybe turn it off and go someplace else. So I get Disney for free, but I often, like when I wander around and see what else is there new to watch, I'm thinking I don't need to turn it off, but I should go say, what am I going to go to that I'm going to watch three months of a lot of it and let other things kind of get neglected, but then turn it back off. And Apple TV... I really have always liked the fact that Apple, Netflix, Amazon, they really don't seem to be beholden to the lowest common denominator stuff that drove movies and network television for a long time, that they really let good directors, auteurs, do their thing. And I don't know how much they cost, but they must cost reasonable amounts in order to be the amount of viewership and advertising they can sell and whatever else it might be. Yeah, there's so many good things going on that really are very particular visions of things and i love the fact that it didn't get 
dumbed down. And somebody that doesn't know as much about how to tell a story said, oh, what we're looking for is product placement. Can you get a sob in there somewhere? Because they're willing to pony up the money. I James Bond. I saw a sob in Napoleon. They must have paid a lot to get that. (laughs) (laughs) Once another, maybe it was SNL had a great skit. National Lampoon somebody had where product placement had become so ever present that it was jarringly wrong. You know what I mean? You don't really when you're in the middle of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know what Leatherface hoping holding up the chainsaw to make sure you can read the steel logo. Oh yeah, that's the quality stuff when you're going through femurs. You know what I mean? Oh my God. So <laughs> speaking of TV and shows and okay so this is a segue in the tv shows but also a solution to problems because we were talking about problems and the what you had to fix them and stuff so what do you got to do when you have a problem at christmas time you call the doctor (laughs) right we actually my god we're gonna for once talk about something that we said we would talk about run with it Stephen. so what have you liked about the doctor lately yes (laughs) overall okay yeah so okay so my doctor who's story I grew up knowing about Doctor Who, but I was never really a big fan. I wasn't into it, you might say. I knew of it. Um, My friend Reese was much more into it than I was, but it was also more difficult. It was a British show that was on weird times and channels. And I was was PBS in Chicago. It was on Sunday night at 11 o'clock. So Sunday, (laughs) the whole point of getting all your homework done was so you could watch Monty Python at 10. Like the two Ronnies at 1030 and then go into Doctor Who. And if I remember right, it wasn't a single episode. It was three episodes they kind of cobbled together into a an lot. hour and a half. So a commitment to watch an hour and a half at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night was a lot. Yeah. But that's when I first became exposed to Doctor Who. So right. I, I really did watch early on, like season four, Tom Baker actually got John Pertweed for season three. And so that was the first idea of, oh, regeneration happens. There's more than one doctor. And I, I often, one of my big complaints about monster movies is, oh, you can see the zipper. Doctor Who special effects were so ridiculous. You know what I mean? Oh my God, look out, scary aliens, because it's a piece of cellophane in red light. You know what I mean? That must right. be a thought being. And yet, because there was just such, we're going to run with it. We're going to go with it. We know we're a cheap show. And yet the plots were cool and the characters were cool. The characters and- were great. Yeah. So, And that's actually, I'm glad you said that because... When they restarted it in 2010, and it hadn't been on the air for over 15 years or something like that, Uh, and they restarted in 2010, they understood, and we've talked about this, they understood the franchise. They understood what made it popular. They just wanted to bring it into the modern world. So they didn't throw tons of money with big budget and tons of special effects. It stayed campy. It stayed a little cardboardy, you might say. And I- Exactly. Mannequins. We're going to make use of store mannequins as a menace and stuff like that. We right. can buy a lot of mannequins for cheap. <laughs> yeah. And so my kids got into it then and I was like, yeah, okay. And I never really watched it much, a uh, little bit with them here and there, but I took them to the 50th anniversary, which had Matt Smith, David Tennant, and John Hurt, and I knew nothing. I was oh, like, well, this doctor. is fun, but I didn't know anything. Then Gina really got me into it more because she loved Tenant and just was all about it. Like, oh, you got to watch this. You got to watch this. You got to watch this. But let me tell you, then I watched Matt Smith, and when he re- Tenant regenerated the Smith, and I watched a couple, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I get it now. Matt Smith is my doctor. I understand. He was it for me. I was there. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Everybody has a doctor that kind of matches what they're looking for in the series or whether it's based on 
their projection of themselves or whether it's based on the talent or the sometimes it's a matter of the writers there's been good and bad writers for doctor who and sometimes a doctor is blessed to have exactly the right writer for three four five years and then they have the doctor gets to say great things they get to fight good menaces and stuff like that so i, I have been re-watching doctor who starting with eccleston and moving forward and so it, it is a big thing when, like, I don't know, many of the older doctors had been quite benevolent. Sometimes they were like a fuzzy old man, or they were a hobo, or they, you know what I mean, a bit of a dandy, but they were always relatively benevolent. And then I think it's two or three episodes into David Tennant's run where he had to duel with somebody else and he beats him. But then in turning his back on him, the guy comes after him again and he lets him go off the cliff saying, no second chances. It's, this doctor will dispatch an enemy. Yeah. He's not going to. They put him in prison, send him back to his home planet, put him in another dimension. He will. And it was not that he killed them, but he didn't stop them from dying. That he was like, if you're going to try to betray me, you get what you get. And yeah. that was a very interesting new edge. You know, Christopher Eccleston had been a little verbally abusive sometimes, but never was he like, and so you die. <laughs> so that was a, anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've gotten back into it. Honestly, I didn't watch Capaldi or Jodie Whittaker uh, hardly at all. We watched a couple episodes here and there, but okay. it just, you know, with everything with the kids and then everything else going on, we haven't done it. And I go ahead. Spotty because it stopped being available. Like it used to be that BBC was on a certain network and then they seem to sell themselves to a new place each year. And so I had to be, well, I'm getting them on Netflix, but now they're gone from Netflix. And so I, even if I find them, I'm going to pay extra. And sometimes right. I did and sometimes I didn't. So that's how I became spotty with, I haven't watched every single one. Do I watch almost all of them up to the, I haven't seen any of the new David Tennant's return. That's the great that's thing going movie. on right now is okay. Tennant is back in three specials on Disney because Disney is now the uh, major contributor in money and they're the new home for doctor who have uh, you seen them have you seen the tenant episodes Are i good? watched the very first one now understand i like tenant but again matt smith was more it was, was between tenant and matt smith in yeah. our house and most everybody was tenant but i was definitely matt smith so i have not watched all the tenant episodes though i know of a lot of them but let me tell you this I watched the first one, the Star Beast, and it was so Doctor Who. I was like, I really, and we talked about the campiness. Everybody is hoping Disney doesn't f it up. That we don't need the Marvel version of Doctor Who. We don't Boy, need that's it. A great way to put it. Exactly. Yeah, we don't need everything to be a three hundred million dollar movie. Godzilla, fifteen million to make, made twenty one million in the states alone in one weekend. Uh, the Marvels, 300 million to make it. It only made 350 million and it's a flop. That's so it's a flop. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. It's, One of the things that I like when you see a show that like maybe longstanding, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past, once in a while you get somebody that really gets it. They understand right. the essence of what makes Star Wars good, Doctor Who good, Star Trek good. And when they then commit to it, John Favreau hats off to him because the first season of The Mandalorian was this guy knows what makes that universe so good yeah and same with the, in the doctor who it's the case mostly of the writer slash director that depending on whether you're a stephen moffat guy or there's different doctor who babies and just yeah they have the essence of what it is to be the doctor and some people get it and some others don't and so and i think the problem with the my jody whitaker episodes was not her it was with the writing had gone to a new guy that just didn't 
have it. He didn't have the essence of what makes Doctor Who cool. And the best thing about Jodie Whittaker was the repeated things of whether she might be Banksy or am I? You know what I mean? Every time she said that, it made me laugh. But anyway. Okay. And, and you're absolutely right. I think, unfortunately, Disney might have learned some of their lesson by screwing up Star Wars. They, I think oh, they got no. Star Wars and said, oh my God, we've got the biggest thing other than Harry Potter. We're in control of it. Throw some movies out. We'll make tons of money. Well, nobody's right. watching our movies. Why not? Because it sucked because you don't get it. You can't just throw a movie out and say, oh, now it's Star Wars. And so that didn't work. Let's take that plot and we'll throw it into Star Trek and see if that works. You, you got to know the property. And Doctor Who is not Star Wars. It's not Marvel. It's Doctor Who. Keep it Doctor Who and you'll make plenty of money because we'll all eat it up. You know, what's interesting. So this is so much similar. I'm not trying to get us off of TV, but comic books <laughs> have often been like that. Somebody has written and drawn a comic book for a long time. And then when you change, sometimes it's jarringly. And sometimes the new author will do things to really shake the series up just to make it interesting again, because maybe it's just a human truth. If you've done something for 10 years, are you really as crisp, as hungry, as in experimental as you were when you first started off? Even Stanley and Jack Kirby did not have the same amazing rigor after the first 40 issues I'd say 60 issues of Fantastic Four, which is amazing to say. Five yeah. years worth of amazing. It wasn't always the case. It was the Roy Thomas Avengers with the various different things. So when you see Star Wars being like, I don't know, George Lucas is no longer involved, but the people that were his main lieutenants, maybe this happened with Star Trek as well. Sometimes you really wanted to have not Gene Roddenberry and not even his closest associates, but someone that really had an awareness of all had gone before, right. but then they bring, you name it, a modern sensibility, at least a different sensibility, and it revives it. It adds new energy. It isn't just a comfort. It's actually once in a while, oh, well, that's new, but I kind of like it. And that you don't just have the sequelitis, which is repetition and very little change. Once in a while, you get that there's real movement forward. And it's a saga that there's yes. really cool things happening over the course of time. Not just we're repeating that first season again and again. And, and you know, I, so. I'm glad you said that because, and I read something about this. I'm like, yeah, that's very true. I forget where I got, saw it, but it was like, yeah, I'd hate to be involved in fandom in today's world because it's so toxic. You can't please the fans no matter what. And Colin and I have both said, it's like, I refuse to talk to Star Wars fans about Star Wars because they're never happy. They never like anything. They said everything sucks. And it's so hard to do that. And you get people going, that episode sucked or that movie sucked. It was just like the other one and they didn't do anything different. So they do something different. That sucked because we don't want all that stuff to be different. Well, okay, well then we'll cancel it. Of course they canceled it. They can't do anything right. That's kind of funny. I, boy, I don't, I'm trying to think of where I really, I liked Highlander, the movie. It's lot. getting rebooted. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. And then the second one came out. It was one of the biggest crash and burns of all time. But then the TV series, I really wanted to like it. Adrian Paul instead of Christopher Lambert. And yet, I think by episode six, they were already repeating themselves. Yeah. It was already like, boy, you had an opportunity to expand the world, to have all kinds of new, are there more immortals than this? And, and, and I have never watched the entire series because I really got that. Is this just keep it going to make money? Is this a cash grab? There's nobody here with any artistic integrity or knowing creativity. It doesn't have to be, I'm true to Highlander, but at least be like, I want to see what happens next week. 
I think it was like after episode six, it was like, there's no cliffhanger. This is just, am I going to watch this out of duty? Am I going right. to have anything better to watch? Actually, I do have better things to watch. One day I'll return. And it might've been, I was just in a jaded place in my life or something like, but that's not really true. There have been some series that I stopped watching. Cause it was like, this is just pap. It's just nothing. Yeah. Whereas I rewatched Hannibal. I'm rewatching it right now because it really does bear up with rewatching more. There's great characters. It's grisly and grotesque. Just a little dose of what I need to match all the Christmas candy that I'm getting in other places. Anyway. So. <laughs> so they are rebooting Highlander from what I understand. And I loved Highlander, but looking at it now, I watched the movie. I'm like, yeah, this movie could use a good reboot. I think there's a lot more that they could do. I think the movie was great. Definitely better than the second and third one. Uh, but I just feel now it doesn't hold up as well. I, I'm excited about a reboot if it's done right. And we've said that about everything. And as far as the series go, the, it started off as the monster of the week or the Highlander of the week, the whatever. So that was the problem with the first season of that show. But it did get better. I enjoyed that show because of the characters. And come on, uh, the lead singer of The Who was a Highlander. So you got to like it. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is I've had, you know, there's any number of series that they really, they're long. There are five, six seasons. And people will tell me, well, you got to get through the first three seasons. And then it gets really good in season four. So, so let's see. I've got to watch at least what? Three times 13 times 20. I got to watch it 39 to 60 episodes. Right. It's all just laying the groundwork. No, I kind of want to be punchy and good from the start. Hey. It might be that there's a big payoff and that it's worth it all, but that doesn't seem like good show pacing to me. You know what I mean? I'll, I really will have to rewatch it, give it a chance. I hope it's available out there. It's got to be out there somewhere, right? You know what I mean? It was a 90s show. TV was changing, growing up. It was still kind of holding back to the 80s mentality. Yeah. So I will say this. From the first movie, the Cargan was just one of the best villains Ooh. of all time. And I still have anything that Clancy Brown's in, I'm watching it because yeah. I so much have this love for the Cargan and whatever he did since then, I have to see, is he going to choose scenery like he did there? Is it going to be, and he's been both good and bad characters in various different movies and TV series and stuff like that. He was just like one of the big bad guys in the Dexter reboot and stuff like that. And it's oh, Clancy Brown's in it. I'm in, I'm in. Nice, nice. <laughs> so, yeah. So here's hoping that's good. I've heard that the crow is getting a reboot, mm -hmm. which that uh, graphic novel is absolutely fantastic. It's one of my all time favorites. And I met the writer, James O'Barr, at one time. Very quiet, shy guy. He was there and he was signing, but he's kind of like, we really don't want to talk to people. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, the series was, was very emotional and like, it's kind of funny. I think that might be one of those that the first taste I have had of by being a completist, by buying everything that was coming out, I have all the crows, you know what I mean? And they were early on very low print runs yeah. in the thousands not even in the tens thousands maybe yeah. i'm wrong but like when everybody started to seek them out it was like well i don't have to be on that hunt i already got them and that's a great right. thing <laughs> and that's another one of those shows where i loved the graphic novel so much i'd have read it multiple times already then the movie came out and i saw the movie i'm like well, that was good but it missed a lot of what i got out of the graphic novel so i'm hoping the reboot captures that even better we'll see you know, I, oftentimes you'll, so what's the reason that people do like really good or really bad things love 
revenge, money, and the crow captures a lot of those things. You know what I mean? So it's a great mythology because you it's always coming back from the dead for revenge, for justice on something wrong. People that did them wrong. Exactly. Yeah. It's not just I'm going revenge because you cut me off on the freeway. It's me and my family were living here fine. You broke into our house, killed us just to steal the gold necklace. Now I'm going to come back and get you. It's ordained in some way. It's, that's a little more powerful than just going to hunt somebody down or whatever. Right. I like the mythology. And it's built in a different crow every time. It, I do. Yeah. Did you ever read Mage by Matt Wagner? No. There, that's a great series. The hero discovered, the hero revealed. There's three long story arcs, probably a year each, maybe 12 issues, 15 issues. And he has a great cartoony style that was very effective for um the, the guy finds a baseball bat and it turns out to be a mighty weapon and the the I, it's kind of funny or, I, already i don't want to get into the big reveals of what's going on but it builds the mythology very well and introduces all different kinds of support characters and stuff and just it really was one of those series that i couldn't wait to read the next issue what's nice. happening what's going on very well paced and stuff like that uh as compared to The Crow, which the artwork is very scratchy and very horror-ish. You know yeah. what I mean? It really is like Joker kind of facials and stuff like that. That he that it's um I, I remember that being one of those things that after I read that, I had to read something that was more comic booky, more oh, oh, yeah. kind of like the swamp things by Bizet and Totleben, because their the artwork was so bizarre and it stayed with you. Some of the images arcane. And just that I had to kind of get my palate cleansed after reading something that was well, really effective in bringing in doom and bringing in evil, all that kind of stuff. He wrote it because something similar to what happened in the book happened to him. Him and his girlfriend were like cut off on the road and some guys killed her and not he didn't die. And that's how he expressed all the pain, which is I like- I never dear, knew that. I never yeah. knew that was- Based on a true story. Oh, yes, my. his life. Okay. Yeah, and, and I never read that. You'd think that would have been in some interview with him somewhere. It would have said, by the way, this is not just made up. Okay. So, and, and even freakier was when I used to go up to the in-laws up in Michigan. After reading that, we were, whatever, walking around on some stores and stuff. And I looked up at the road signs. I'm like, holy crap. This is Grashit and Eight. That's where the crows happened. That's where he got killed. I was like, okay, we got to get out of this area. Just <laughs> <laughs> Bad things happen here. You can feel it in the soil. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we got to move. So oh, man. Well, there we go. See, we've okay. given lots of what to do here at Christmas time. Freakonomics. Absolutely. Doctor Who. Freakonomics, uh, Doctor Who. Everything. Consumer reports. Got You know, there's all kinds of things to make your world better. Exactly. Yes. We got our advent calendar going. We got our jigsaw puzzle advent going. We're having an okay Christmas. Nice. Just, I'll give a shout out. Hey, my mom's in trouble. And so this might, I don't know how many Christmases she has left in her. So love you, mom. Uh, here's hoping for the best. This is not the time of year you want problems. So it's, it's an odd combination. You know what I mean? So yeah. jubilant is not. So, yeah. okay. It's not on quite a sad note. Look, quick shout out down in Canton to the Ohio Tea Company. Colin is a big tea connoisseur, discovered this place. Uh, when you walk in, the smells are fantastic. And every year they have these little 
Oh, we're talking about Breaking Bad and drugs. They're kind of dime bags of tea. Okay. Um, but uh, you can sample amongst a whole bunch of different things and then go back and get the half pound and pound. Yes, exactly. Okay. So they always okay. come out with Christmas flavors. And we've started a new tradition of getting a couple Christmas ones that we try on Christmas Day. We drink them as part of our breakfast and all that. Okay. Uh, you mentioned you discovered an apple cinnamon that you really like. I think so. Yes, that, that okay. was a fall one that they came out with, but they had a few left. I grabbed that. They had a whole selection of Christmas ones. Uh, I was just drinking peppermint stick, which had a hint of peppermint, uh, but it's okay. got caffeine, so I couldn't drink it last night. But last night, we tried uh, how do you say, Roebos cinnamon. Oh my gosh. Ooh. Oh, it was so wow. good. Okay. You, you get tea in the store in the bags, the brand names on the shelf, whatever. But then when you drink this stuff and you're like, it's just so flavorful and tastes so good. You go back to the bag stuff, you're like, yeah, this kind of sucks. So, Someone squirt a crayon in the water. There's nothing to this. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's and great. the prices really aren't outrageous. You think, oh, loose tea and I'm going. But really, the stuff I buy in the store, if you buy good stuff in the store, it's not that much cheaper than yeah, getting celestial season twining. I'm trying to think of whatever ones yeah. are well-known brand names. I don't know if they're quality across the line, but that's <laughs> what I try to get for Colleen is at least the flavor that she wants and from some place that seems to be reputable. <laughs> and it's like a lot of things when it's mass produced. Yeah. You get it in the store easily and cheaply, but it's not always the best and right. getting it from the Ohio tea company. And okay. every time we drink it, it's just, wow, this is just so good. <laughs> Sounds like you know, I already have a Canton trip planned in terms of got to go down and get my pizza, see some Christmas lights. Now I got to stop by the tea company. Very there you good. go. I Very recommend good. it. That's Check them out. Thing. All right. Thanks All right, very man. much, Okay. Have a good week. Good luck with your mom. Thank you. This has been the Relentless Geekery Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, relentlessgeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, join the conversation, and go check out our YouTube page, where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.